0: It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, it is about to be Christmas. I tell you, this is one of my favorite times of the year, not because it's getting cold outside and it's a little overcast during these winter days, but just because I like how when you get around the holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas, how it seems like that you just spend more time with your family. And And I know we talk about money and a lot of other things on this show, The Money Guy Show, but um, there are a lot more things to life than just the money. And money is a tool that can help us reach our goals. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We are going to be talking about many things we can do and putting you in the right mindset that maybe since we're wrapping up 2007 2008 is going to be the year that you can make sure you're doing everything to to make the right financial decisions, to put yourself in that position that you're going to be financially independent and succeed and and reach those goals that you want to do. So if you're brand new, if you're one of these people, uh, maybe you listen to this podcast right after Christmas um, and you got a brand new iPod or a brand new Microsoft Zoom, welcome to the show. This is the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. And um, by day, I'm a fee-only financial planner. I'm a certified public accountant and a certified financial planner as well. So those are my designations. But what we are going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about how really the market's been getting beaten up here recently. And I think a lot of you and I'll tell you what sparked this in my head is I had a client meeting yesterday, and um, when you've had a market that's been down for a while, it, it makes you realize you know how you do sometimes need to come back. And make sure everybody understands how uh, the brain, how your emotions, and how everything that's going on economically truly impacts your money. And then also, how to not let yourself sur- short-circuit your long-term goals of success. And, and, and that's what I, I figured I'd come back and talk to. Because let me tell you what happened at this meeting. And I'm not going to give any detailed information because this is a client. Um, but but I've tried my best to make sure that I'm always very upfront with clients. And one of the things that I see when you have a brand new client, this is a pretty new client, is that I always pray that the very first year that I have a client, that the market does well, that it's very tame, even makes us a nice return, maybe a, a return a little bit bigger than what I've told the client that they can anticipate. You know, and I usually give clients a range. You know, if you're, if you're getting closer to retirement, I might tell you we can pull down somewhere between 6 to 9%. You know, And then I'm you know, secretly hoping we pull down 10 or 11% if the market's per- behaving and performing well. Well, I did that um, tactic with, with, with this client. And, um, of course, since the client's come on board, the market has not behaved itself. Let's face it, um, the month of November was dreadful. It looks like December has not been great. And in the long, grand scheme of, of long-term investing, this is not a big deal. You know, when people ask me, they say, hey Brian, what you know, what which direction is the market going? Like I have some crystal ball hidden in my back file cabinet that I pull out to go look at. Nobody truly knows, but I always can tell them the answer is that it's going to go up. If you go and look at the history of the markets, they're going to go up. And in a minute, I'm going to very awkwardly unroll this poster that I have that I got at a conference a few years ago um, that has it's a it's a big long wall poster that you're supposed to be hanging up. To, to talk about the growth of the S&P 500 and all the world you know, uh, tragedies and um, financial devastations and, and worldwide events that have caused people to think about not even investing. Because I th- as I've mentioned in previous podcasts and shows, something about human nature, we're drawn to the negative stuff. And I've got an article about that that we're going to talk about. But I want to get back because I do pray whenever we have – a brand new client, I do pray that the first year is good because if I can get one good year under my belt with a client, I think they feel like then they're playing with, you know, and I hate to use gambling terms, but they feel like they're playing with house money and they trust me and it doesn't matter if the next year, year two, if the market goes down because I have a track record with them that they feel comfortable with. But when you take on a client in a down market, um, you know, it's not as easy, even if you're, you know, clients, it gets to be a running joke, because remember, I started my firm in 2002, which was not exactly the best year to be starting a, an investment and financial planning firm. Um, but it turned out to be good, because the clients started joking, you know, their long term clients. Now everybody's who been with me since 2002. But it's, it's it became a running joke with us is that whenever we'd have client meetings, I'd be like, hey, uh, you know, your portfolio <laughs> lost a little bit of money. But it was substantially less than what the broad markets are doing, and you know, and you're supposed to find some pearl of uh, of happiness in that in that fact. And and I do tell that because, um, you know, it's not uncommon. And you know, I'm not gonna give. I don't like to give performance numbers because that's that's the easiest way to get yourself in trouble with the Securities and Exchange Commission. But let's just say that that, for instance, this client that I had the meeting with yesterday, their loss. If you even want to call it a loss, was not even one percent. It was a it was a, a, a fraction of a percent. And as you know, since um, the month of uh, really September 30th, uh, the broad markets are, are, have been down uh, between three and six percent, depending upon which indice you want to go look at. So I'm feeling like we're doing a pretty good job of mitigating the the volatility and the losses out there. But it's it's individuals it's your money and I understand that people get concerned about that. So what I want to talk about is there's an article, uh, you know, out there in in Money Magazine. Well, it's actually on CNNMoney.com and I'm going to link it on the website. You can go to MoneyGuy.net. You can also email the show at Brian at MoneyGuy.net um, if you want to send me an email about things um, that you might have questions about. But this article I thought gave a very factual based analysis. Of how your brain and money works together, and that's what is titled "Your Money and Your Brain," and it was done by Jason um, Zawig. I hope I pronounced that right. He's um, a Money magazine magazine senior writer and a columnist. And this actually is from August of 2007, but I think it's quite timely with everything that's going on, is because you know we have had this this crazy volatility out there, and it says, you know, there's no doubt, and it, and it, and it talks about how the human brain is just it's a miracle, let's face it. There's no way that you can have something this complicated um, without it being a miracle of, 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 you know, of creation, that we can have something that is so complex. But I will tell you, um, your brain is also can be, even though it's a brilliant machine, can also lead you quite astray when it comes to handling money. And and that's one of the things, and I'm kind of going off topic a little bit, but I always say, you know, when you're looking at hiring a financial advisor or somebody, you want to find somebody who has been through the bad times. Um, You want somebody with a little history underneath their belts because um, it it takes a little bit of conditioning to learn how to manage money when things do get tight. So that's what we're going to be talking about because... You, you, I've talked about many, many times, it, it's very common that human nature with investing is, is that even though we all know the adage of buy low and sell high, most of us do the exact same thing. And we've, we've come to find that a lot of that might be based in science and how we're built. Um, because as this article goes on, it says, you buy high only to sell low. You try to time the market. You follow the crowd. You make the same mistakes over and over again and again. And how come? Well, we're starting to get some answers, and the scientists in the emerging field of neuroeconomics, which is a hybrid of neuroscience, economics, and psychology, are making stunning discoveries about how the brain evaluates rewards, sizes up risk, and calculates probabilities. And we're going to get into all these different things, and we're going to do it rather quickly. It says, with the wonders of imaging technology, we can observe the precise neural circuitry that switches on and off in your brain when you invest. Those pictures make it clear that your investing brain often drives you to do the things that make no logical sense, but make perfect emotional sense. Your brain developed, has developed to improve our species' odds of survival. Uh, you, like every other human, are wired to crave what looks rewarding and shun what seems risk. We do all love to go after something that we think we can make a nice, juicy return. But as soon as it gets a little shaky out there, you, you, as you, many of you are aware, you get very scared and try to figure out immediately how you can find the exit. It says, To counteract these impulses, your brain has only a thin veneer of modern analytical circuits that often is no match for the power of the ancient parts of your mind. And when you do win, lose, or risk money, you stir up some profound emotions, including hope, surprise, regret, and the two we'll examine here, which are greed and fear. And remember, I always say, you, you know, greed and fear are what drive the market in the short term. And in the long term, the market is driven by the economy, the numbers, the numbers, the analytical side of your brain. If you can tame the 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 animal side, you know, the the fear and greed uh, uh, of the way all that, you know, all your all everything's popping around up there in the brain. Um, If you can control that, you will be successful, but you've got to learn to manage that that emotion if you're ever going to be successful with handling your financial issues out there. It talks about greed, the thrill of the chase. Why is it so hard for most of us to learn that the old saying, money doesn't buy happiness, is true? After all, we all feel as if it should. And this is a good point. I like how it goes. It says, the answer lies in a cruel irony that has enormous implications for financial behavior. Our brains come equipped with a biological mechanism that is more aroused when we anticipate a profit than when we give one. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. is that if you think about looking at stock prices, and everybody's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. When you look at stock prices, people always ask me, say, Brian, how come... You know, interest rates were down substantially on mortgages before the Federal Reserve actually came out with their their meeting notes and their announcement of how much they were going to cut rates. Brian, how how come when um, that the, there was a Dateline invest you know Dateline show and this was many years ago was you know I can't remember if it was twenty twenty Dateline but it was a show about how a company had promising re- research results on um, a cancer drug and that you know you come in the next morning Monday and that stock price is up like two or three hundred percent. Um, or you find out that a company, you know, it's rumored they're going to be bought out by another company, but then when the company is actually acquired by that company, all of a sudden the stock price comes down. Or when the Federal Reserve, you know, when they first, announce, you know, mortgage rates will go down, or you'll see big jumps in the stock market because people are anticipating that the, the Federal Reserve is going to drop interest rates. And then when the meeting comes and they actually do drop the interest rates, just like everybody anticipated, all of a sudden the market's down. And people wonder, why is that the case? And it's because we're wired to, to enjoy the anticipation, but once we actually reach the goal, ho hum. You know, we we got the goal. No, not a big deal. And that's why you do see people. You always hear the the adage out there when it comes to investing that you um that that you see a run up on rumors, but then you see a a, a, a sell off on the actual news that comes out. So it's it's the thrill of anticipation that puts our senses in a state of high awareness. Um, bracing us to capture uncertain rewards—it's it, our anticipation circuitry. It's how we're wired, uh, you know, up there in the brain. Acts of um, it really does help us, you know, it gives us the incentive. And the reason we're wired this way is, if you think about, it, there's a lot of things that sets us apart from most other things on this planet. Is is that we're wired to where we can think about things and be patient to reach bigger goals. I mean, it enables us to pursue rewards that can only be earned with patience and commitment. So if we didn't have a brain up there saying, hey, you can do this. This is going to be so great. Think about how you're going to have all this success, how you're going to be able to handle all these opportunities out there. This is what drives you to the point that you can have that deferred gratification where you don't go out there and get yourself a nice car immediately, that you, that you might not live in the house that you love right now because you're saving for that, that dream home of yours. These are the things that allow you to, to put off and, and go for that deferred gratification and live in a situation that might not be ideal right now because you're building something extraordinary. And, and, and this is the way we're wired, which is a good thing. Um but it it is not it's not uncommon and you can think about this in your own life if you've had some success with the little things um you know how when you actually reach them it doesn't seem like as as big of a deal as you thought it was maybe maybe you've gotten to the point where you always you know i, I remember i can i can remember when i was a kid you know you thought hey i can't wait to have my first new car and then as you get older you think about it, you start you buy a new car it's not as cool of a thing as you might have thought but when you were younger the anticipation of that moment seemed incredible um, I think it's uh, you know another thing that's outside of money. I can remember anybody who's got kids. You know, especially boys or or girls that want to help out in the yard and and ride the riding lawnmower. How many of us, you know, when you're when you're ten, eleven, twelve years old, can't wait to drive the, the riding lawnmower to help your parents mow the yard because you think it'd be so cool to ride that. The day comes that they actually let you start helping out and mow the yard. You're stuck with that job forever, while you're living under that roof anyway. And then it was miserable. You didn't enjoy it as much as you have because I think the anticipation is what we crave as humans. And then when you reach it, sometimes it's, you know, it, it leaves a lot to be desired because we're not wired to just enjoy the reward. We're more wired for the anticipation. So when we come back from the commercial break, we're going to continue on with trying to conquer how to work with our brain to make sure that we're still doing what we need to to be successful, successful with our financial life. So, Joyce, I'm your host for The Money Guy Show brian preston we'll be right back after this brian the money guy preston here if you enjoy the information that i share on the money guy show then you'll love my print newsletter the wealth report the wealth report is the quarterly newsletter that i send my wealth management clients and i'm making it available to you for the affordable price of 29 dollars a year You can sign up at the Money Guy website. That's money-guy.com. This quarter's Wealth Report covers putting the summer stock sell-off in perspective, ranks of millionaires skyrocketing across the globe, the most common mistakes that retirees make, and how you can avoid them, what else should be in your will, and choosing an estate planning attorney. All this great information is packed into the fourth quarter Wealth Report. So what do you have to lose? You probably spend more than $29 on lunch this week. So take me up on this incredible offer and sign up today at the MoneyGuy website. Once again, that's Money-Guy.com. Money-Guy.com. Sign up now. Money-Guy.com. And we're back for, for, after our first commercial break. And I, I want to tell you that um, we talked about we, the first segment was really kind of an intro as to what we're going to be talking about today with handling and conquering our brain and the way it impacts in a down market. And I told you, you know, this is all driven by I had a client meeting yesterday where I had a, a really fearful client that was kind of concerned about what's going on out there in the marketplace. And I'm trying to make sure always that we focus on the long-term aspect of, uh, aspects of the market, not to get caught up and just what's going on in, in, in the current three- to six-month-to-year period. Because I do think as humans, we do tend to to really focus uh, on the negative a lot of times. And I've got a, a chart I'm going to pull out very awkwardly that I've got um, a poster talking about the growth of the S&P 500, all the global things that have occurred throughout the last well, since 1928, um, that would have swayed many investors to stay away from investing in the stock market. And if they would have, what they would have missed out on. So I'll I'll bring that chart out in a minute. I wish you had a video podcast here so you could see how awkwardly, because this poster is probably about five to six feet long. And um, you're going to clumsily hear me probably open this thing up in a minute. So talking about just market emotions and how fear and greed really do drive the market in the short term and how you don't need to let yourself get caught up in that. You need to think about the long term because I constantly am telling you guys, if you can't let that money go for five to seven years, don't invest in the stock market, don't invest in the bond market, don't invest in these alternative strategies I talk about, don't invest in the international marketplace because you need to be able to walk away from that money five to seven years if you're going to be successful because you know when people ask me is the market what's it doing is it going to go up is it going to go down i say yes you know because that really is the answer yes it's going to go up and down but in the long term it's going to go up without a doubt it's going to go up otherwise this economic system that we have here in the united states is in, is not going to last the government counts on that companies are going to make more money Because that's what drives the capitalistic marketplace. That's what drives us getting additional tax revenue. So they're going to do everything in the power. Never underestimate the the power of the government. To, to impact change by, you know, lowering taxes, cutting interest rates, doing whatever they have to do to spur economic activity. So, you know, it's going to go up in the long term. And when I talk about how, yes, it's going to go up and down in the short term, think about this. And I've used this analogy with clients all the time, and I hope it gives you a visual. If you have a yo-yo, if, if, I don't know, yo yos probably, yo-yoing is probably not cool anymore, but um, I, I, as a Kid, I always used to, I don't know how it got cool. It was before the skateboard period of my life, but um, we we all had dunking yo-yos. And, you know, with a yo-yo, you go up and down with it. You're constantly throwing it up and down. And and imagine you got a yo-yo that you're throwing up and down, but you're also walking up a hill. Um, That's the way investing is. I mean, sure, you might have some ups and downs in the short term, but if you're walking up that hill of time, you know, you're going to a higher place. So it doesn't matter that it's going up and, ta- up and down in the short term. So let's talk about fear and how the human brain, think about the perception of this. Of This This is um, a, a, money, a Money Magazine article talking about your money and your brain from August. And, and it has a few questions. It says, it says, which is riskier, a nuclear reactor or sunlight? And the second question is, it says, which animal is responsible for the greatest number of human deaths in the United States? And it gives the, the options. It says alligators. That's option A. We got deer. That's option B. We got snakes, bears, or the last option is sharks. So if you look at the answers, it says the, most, the worst nuclear accident in history occurred when the reactor at Chernobyl um, in the Ukraine melted down in 1986. Early estimates were that tens of thousands of people were probably going to be killed by the radiation po- poisoning. By 2006, however, fewer than 100 had died. Meanwhile, nearly 8,000 Americans are killed every year by skin cancer, commonly caused by overexposure to the sun. And it says also, in the typical year, deer are responsible for roughly 130 human fatalities, seven times more than alligators, bears, sharks, and snakes combined. That means you add up all the attacks of you know the sharks, the alligators, the bears, and snakes—anything else that you might wake up from from dreams, you know, uh, wondering if you're okay—there you're you're much more likely to be you know impacted by a deer walking out in front of your car. So and we're it's no different when it comes to investing. According to a recent survey of a thousand investors. There's a, the investors said that there's a 51% chance that in any given year, the U.S. stock market might drop by one-third. So more than half of the population of this survey, and I, I don't know what the plus or minus on error margin is, but you know typically when you get a, a, a population of 1,000 people, the pool pro, you know, probably has a 3 to 5% error margin. So you can say it's still pretty close. So there's over half the people, or close to half the people, think that in any year they could lose a third of their money. Do you want to really know the probability of that happening? The actual odds of the U.S. stock market will lose a third of its value in any given year is only around 2%. The real risk isn't that the market will melt down, but that inflation is going to take away your savings and take away the ability of your money that you're saving to work for you in retirement. Yet, you know, only 31% of people who were in this exact same survey... We're worried that they might run out of money during the first 10 years of retirement. And that's the biggest fear. You know, you've heard me do a gazillion, you know, topics on 401ks, on, you know, saving for retirement. And, I, and I'm and i always amazed when I, I throw out those average account balances because they're not that big. I mean, I know how much it costs. It, you have to have saved up for retirement. And when I hear the average balance of what's in a 401k, it's not getting it done. So... It's just—it's funny how human the human nature works when it comes to to dealing with risk. Uh, you know, we tend to judge the probability of an event based upon the, the the ease with which it comes to mind. You know, it's almost like our nightmares are, are driving the, the the car here of what our expectations are with, with our money. And, and I got a good point. This is another article. I'm jumping over to a real quick other article I found. It's also from Money Magazine. It Says. Toughing out money, market the the market's ups and downs, and, and the and it made a great point. I'm just going to read a, a, a paragraph or two from this. It talked about how in 2002, when when there was more money coming out of the stock market, that was a year that in 2002 that you had more money coming out of the stock market than any other time in history. Because remember, in 2002, the market was down over 22 percent. And if you take that into consideration with the um, nine to 10 percent it was down in 2000, or the 11 to 12 percent it was down in 2001, the market was down nearly 50 percent since it started falling, you know at the end of '99. You know, it really started falling in March of 2000. But that's you're, people were down 50 percent. They were being offered a 50 percent discount on funds that they were buying just two and a half, three years earlier. And and what were they doing? They were all running out there to get their money out of this equity stock market as fast as they possibly could because they were scared to death. They were doing the exact opposite of what they were doing because they were so scared that they they were at the worst time. And, 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 And this is what's crazy. You know that the stock market works in the long run. In fact, the worst stock market that is that has ever existed in a 30-year period, if you just took the stock market from like the 1928 period when it started all the way to now, and you said, okay, I'm a, I'm a worker. I've got 30 years to save. What's the worst? What is the worst period ever for the equity marketplace? If if I was an investor looking at a 30-year saving history for an individual. And what you come out with is that the worst 30-year period Beat inflation by two point six percent annually, and I just told you one of the biggest risks that most people have with saving for retirement is that they're not going to save enough to keep up with inflation. the rising cost of what it costs for gas or the rising cost of what it costs to buy a car, what it costs to pay for groceries, a gallon of milk I mean, I saw an article last week that um you know milk's probably headed for four dollars a gallon, which is um getting to be higher and higher. I mean when most of us can remember it wasn't too long ago that you were buying milk, you know you know for a buck 50 a gallon maybe even a little less if it was on sale that week so safer investors such as bonds during the same period talking about this 30 year period that I talked about that the worst stock market ever during that 30, you know any 30 year period since its existence and creation is 2.6 better than um, inflation safe investments like bonds and US treasuries on the other hand lagged inflation during the, in, in, according to this analysis uncertainty is usually the reason most of us sell after the market has gone down, moving in and out of the market is very likely to decrease your returns. So these 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 are key key points that you need to think about on why people are so scared about handling their money the way they are. And you know, and and, and I think a lot of this has to do with peer pre, peer pressure. You know, we like as much as we like to think we are individuals who will do our own thing. We are animals. <laughs> You know that are are driven by the social aspect of we like to be. There's comfort in numbers. You know misery loves company. Uh, you, you hear that saying all the time. But we definitely are people that are driven by, um, you know, the the peer pressure issues and and how the other people around us are acting. You know they did some research. They you know and I they they had some studies. I'm not going to go into all the scientific details, but they did some studies where they had people answering some questions individually, and then they put this, you know, another test group was as a group. They come up with their decisions as a group. And and the group that they had individually got their answers right 84% of the time. But then when they all started thinking together, you know, and bringing egos, bringing emotions, and bringing other things in, in this same research, um, the the correct percentage went down to 59%. Went from 84% down to 59%. And what brain scans showed is that when subjects followed the peer group, Peer group activation in parts of the frontal cortex decreased, as if social pressure was somehow overpowering the reflective or analytical brain. When people did buck the consensus, brain scans found intense firing in the part of the brain that controls pain and, and also sends as a, a warning signal to 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 not take too much risk. And and that's what what has happened with a lot of people. I think that peer pressure. Um, overrules the anal- analytical, the thinking part of the brain and causes a lot of problems. Um, and they found this because social social isolation activates for, in the, some of the same areas as the brain that is triggered by physical pain. So a lot of times us being alone or feel like we're going against the system is more painful or just as painful as if somebody actually stuck a needle in your arm. So, so that's quite a, it, you know... Quite I think it's pretty interesting finding there, and it's, it goes on to say, in short, you go along with the herd, not because you want to, but because it hurts not to. Being part of a large group of investors can make you feel safer when everything is going great. But once risk rears its ugly head, there's no safety in numbers. And then that's so true about many things in life. Um, that's why I always tell you, you need to think like a contrarian when everybody's excited about what's going on out there in the market. You need to be concerned. When everybody is so worried, like in 2002 when the market was down over 50% from where it would have been, and you could have gotten a 50% discount, you know, a coupon essentially for 50% off, um, you need to get excited about that. And let's talk about, before we go into this commercial break, I'm, I'm clumsily pulling out my, my, and I probably just knocked over the microphone, but I'm pulling out my, my, my poster of stock market history since 1928, and this is the S&P 500 composite. And what they have here, let's first talk about what each decade has done for the S&P 500. And we go all the way back to 1928. The years of 1928 and 29 that was a very short decade during the 20s because it was a very new index. The market made 17.6% a year. During the 30s through the 39 areas, so, so we had the 30s, the decade of the 30s, we made 5.3% each year. During the 40s, the S&P 500 made 10.3% a year. 1950s, 20.8%, great roaring 1950s there. 1960s, all kind of crazy things going on in the 60s, still made 8.7% a year. The 70s made 7.5% a year average. Um, in the 80s, of course, we had outsized returns, 18.2% a year on average. And then in the 90s, the roaring 90s, we made 18.8%. And then um, if you take it from 1928 all the way to 2004, because that's when... This poster ends, we um, would have made 12.1% a year. So you think about that in terms, you can see, and there's been a lot of bad things that have been going on out there. I've got, you know, just looking at the local stuff that we've got here, we've got, you know, we started the war in Iraq in 2003. In 2002, we had WorldCom bankruptcy, largest in U.S. history. September 2001, we obviously had the terroristic attacks. December 2000, we had that crazy election. Um, December '99, we had the markets fly and the Y2K fears fizzle. Um, October '97, the Hong Kong route and the world markets plunge. That's when we started having, you know, some of those problems over in Japan and elsewhere. Even earlier than that. Look, going back here, we '91, we had the Gulf War. We had the Berlin Wall comes down in 89. Black Monday was in October of 87. You know, there's always things that are going on out there that can make you scared to invest, and you just don't need to worry about it. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Brian Preston, one half of Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. I'm now a fee-only planner. I didn't like the whole conflict of interest that was out there with commissions. If you found out how profitable life insurance was to sell, everybody started looking like they needed life insurance. So I just took that out of the equation and got into focusing on what I was good at, which was the consulting side of giving advice, helping people learn how to make money, and that way the client doesn't feel like they're worried about me selling them products. It allows me to really build trust because I have what's also called a fiduciary responsibility and obligation to put the client's best interest even ahead of my own. What I think is the most important part of my job, educating the client. The great thing about if you're a good fee-only financial planner, you don't have to sell anybody anything. If you can educate the client, it goes much further than ever trying to sell them products. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management, fee-only financial and investment advisors. Visit Preston-Cleveland.com. That's Preston-Cleveland.com. Welcome back to the Money Guy Show. This is the final segment today, and we're in the holiday season, and the holiday spirit I mean, because many of you are probably listening either right before Christmas or right after. Maybe you've even gotten a brand new iPod or a brand new Zoom or some other way to, to go out there and download the Money Guy show. And I want to thank you for coming and listening to us. You guys have been a tremendous part of the success we've had. And I want to thank you for the comments you put out there on iTunes. I want to thank for, you, know, you for subscribing and then supporting the show as well. I wanted one thing, you know, we've, we've talked about how the brain works emotionally and other things, but I'll tell you, you can also train the brain to, to help you become an ally in your goal of becoming financially independent by goal setting. And one of the things, I get excited at this time of year, and this is going to sound like the goofiest, nerdiest thing, but I think if you do it yourself, you're going to find that in two or three years, it is, becomes one of your favorite things. Is that you know i 've told you my thought is money's a tool, but money does enable you to do things to to you know put yourself in a situation to to have financial fulfillment, so you can do the things that make you happy, whether it 's charitable acts, whether it's you know fishing all day, whether it's going out and and being involved or even working there's not I love what I do for a living, I have a lot of passion for it obviously that 's why i 'm doing this as a hobby. Um, I have passion for managing money. I don't know if I'll ever retire, but it would be nice. um, And a lot of you, hopefully, are putting yourself in that situation where you don't have to work. You're working because that's what you want to do, and that's kind of what we're trying to get you into that position. But one of my favorite things at the end of each year is that, I do an update to my net worth statement, and I want to encourage you to do this exact same act. And this is the reason why: is at the end of the year, I always wait for those December thirty first. My year end statements to come right in that first week of January, and then I go update my net worth statement completely. Um, I, you know, I go put how much we have. You know, uh, you know, in bills. You know, in debts out there. You know, how much the house is. You know, worth how much. You know, all the investment accounts are worth. You know, we go out there and do a full household accounting of what we're worth. And and that's good for multiple reasons. First, we started doing it. I'll tell you one of the reasons is that, you know, as you can imagine, being me being a money type person, I handle a lot of the finances at, the, at, the, at, my, at my household. And I wanted to make sure if something ever happened to me, that my wife had a great accounting of what all we had so that she could go to my partner or go to whoever she wanted to to, to transition the financial assets to to, to to smooth that out. I know that's a dark thing to say, but you've got to be smart, and you've got to do these type of things because you just never know when these type of events can occur. So that's how this actually started is I wanted her to have a good accounting of what we had, and it was also something that was good just you know, to you know the life insurance and all the other things is kind of like a transition piece of paperwork. But what is turned into is a great planning tool because One of the most exciting things I have is that I've got a running Excel spreadsheet that every year I go up and update those numbers, but then you can't help but go back and look at what the previous year looked like. How much did you increase? How much of things changed? And that can be a great motivator because, as we talked about, the brain is wired for, you know, the the, the, – excitement of reaching goals. So, you know, in the anticipation of actually going for something bigger and harder to reach than most can handle. So, if you give yourself little things, little, you know, carrots out there that let you see that you're on the right road to success, I think it can be very powerful. And that's why I encourage you to do some goal setting, to go out there and look at you know, what your net worth is each year. And that way you can evaluate, am I making the right decisions to be financially independent? Am I doing what I need to, to be on the right path to provide for my family? And these are the things that I think can be very valuable to you as we come to the end of the year. So I did want to talk to you, there were some some developments that occurred out there that maybe many of you, because I think we we attract a high level of a lot of our listeners are very successful people. You know, they're even on the road to success, meaning they're young and they have an interest in their finances and that's why they're listening to the show. Or you have people who have already on the path, already have made to a level of success at work and they just want to know how to maximize what they've been provided. So I think we attract a very high level of listenership um, and the quality of your thought process and the things. So you need to know about some of these things because I bet a lot of you are pulling down some bucks. Um, Congress has um, done, once again, a Band-Aid for that dreaded tax called the Alternative Minimum Tax. And this was actually brought to my attention by, um, there's a blog that I go out there and look at from time to time. Um, He's actually Georgia-based. Where is my links to him? I must have left it in the office. But anyway, it's it's the Five Cent Nickel blog um, I will link them on my site, and I thought they had a good explanation of what alternative minimum tax is. But I'll I'll kind of you know do it off my cu- off the cuff here. Alternative minimum tax. Let me give you. Let me tell you my thoughts on it first. Is that when I hear people out there in the public talk about how we need a flat tax system, you know, you I, I kind of chuckle to myself. And you say, well, Brian, why why do you chuckle to yourself when people talk about a flat sales tax or a flat tax or whatever? Because I, I, we, we, we kind of secretly already have a, a flat tax in effect. It's just most people don't recognize that we have a flat tax. And what I'm talking about, that flat tax is the alternative minimum tax. Um, most of you don't, what, what the alternative minimum tax is, is that there's really two tax calculations going on on your tax return. There's the income tax calculation. That you see, you know, where you, you add up all your income sources, you take out your itemized deductions or your standard deduction, you know, and your itemized deductions consist of like charitable contributions, your home mortgage interest, your property taxes... Um, Sales taxes, if you're in a state that doesn't have a, a, a state income tax system, uh, you know, as well as ad valorem taxes, medical expenses, and those type of things. You know, biz, unreimbursed business expenses. Those are all things that make itemized deductions. Then you get to take off your exemptions for, and what exemptions are is basically the government gives you a set allowance. For how much you, your spouse, and your children are worth, you know, they'll give you a a kind of a discount, you know, or deduction on your tax return for those exemptions. So you take your income minus the deductions minus your exemptions, and that's your taxable income. And then you go on, you know, look on a chart and figure out how to calculate your income tax. Well, that's the one tax. That's the income tax. There's also another tax system being run right beside that called the alternative minimum tax, which what they do is, is they take your total income, multiply it by a percentage, Well, they take out, you know, they don't let you take all of your deductions. You get to take a few of them. Like charitable deductions, they're not going to touch. You know, you can always take charitable deductions, but um, they they do phase out. They take away the alternative minimum tax. What it does is it takes out deductions like your mortgage interest deduction. It it takes out your, um, you know, property taxes and any other type of taxes. If you have pretty big income and you made a lot of state income tax payments, the alternative minimum tax is going to wipe those out. And after it wipes out those deductions, the majority of your deductions, it multiplies it, depending upon your income, by an interest rate of 26 to 28 percent. And if that number that comes off by multiplying your income, take away, you know, like charitable deductions, that's about the only deduction you get to keep, um, and multiply it by 26 to 28 percent, somewhere in there, depending upon your income, if that number is higher, then. Um, than where your income tax is, you pay that higher tax, so that's why we we have kind of a, a secret tax that's back there that is a, is a flat tax. Well, Congress every year, because when they, they, when they formed alternative minimum tax, they didn't index it. So you can imagine when they formed this pot, this tax system many, many years ago. I think it was done back in nineteen sixty nine or late 60s, early '70s when they, when they did that, that tax system they didn't think about cuz this was supposed to be a temporary fix so they didn't index it for inflation so as you can imagine money is a lot different now than you know in, in 2007 than it was in 1969 so what might seem like a, what was a ton of money back in 1969 is now middle class and that's exactly what's happening is that every year since this thing wasn't indexed for inflation congress has to come in and put a band-aid on it and, and raise the exemption amount, or you know because they don 't want too many people falling in, if Congress wouldn't have come in at the end of this year and fix it, twenty five million people would have to have had to pay this alternative minimum tax um, versus four million who paid it last year. So that, you know it would have gone up sixfold if they wouldn't have put some type of band aid on it and so what they did was they came in and they said, okay, for single individuals, two thousand and six we gave you." Um, you know that, that exemption amount meaning that the tax amount is you know 42,500 we're going to take that up to 44,350 in 2007 for married couples that exemption amount goes from 62,550 um for 2006 we're going to push it up to 66,250 so those um those people who are taking large deductions and and I think it's really, it hits people primarily once you hit about 150. I You know, I, I think anybody who really is in six figures with their income it needs to be concerned about alternative minimum tax. But really, I you know, it gets to the point where if you make over $150,000 a year, you can pretty much count on you're going to have alternative minimum tax. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But it is one of those things where you've got to think about it. And um, you can, now you're kind of on the inside joke. So when people, you hear people talking about, Um, you know, how we need a flat tax or some type of alternative, you know, just general easy tax system. You can kind of chuckle to yourself and recognize that we we already have a flat tax. It's called the alternative minimum tax. So that's something you you can think about. Also, I think I can go through these pretty quick. We are close to year-end, and I want to give you all some real quick planning tips of things you need to do that you can't put off and this would be some great New Year's resolution type things. And, uh, one, of the, you know, the first one that I've got on this list is, are you paying your credit card off each month? I, you know, I told you I don't think credit cards are the devil. I do think they have some very un- you know, not respectful practices that credit card companies are doing. You know, they can they can automatically raise your interest rates just because you might be having trouble with another lender, even though you have paid your bill on time for that credit card company every month. Um, they can still raise your rates. I mean, they can do crazy things like, you know, make the due date times some ungodly window that it makes it almost impossible because they're trying to collect all these additional fees. But you do need to, you know, so the way you beat them at their own game is you pay off your credit card in full each month. Also, make sure you're contributing to your 401k up to the match. I think I've beaten on you guys enough about that. Go get the match. It's free money. If I put a table out in front of your office and put $100 bills on it, you would walk by and pick it up if I told you it was free. Do the same thing with your 401k match. Make sure if you've got children especially that you have written a will. If you haven't written a will and you have children, you're doing a great Huge injustice to them. So make sure you're doing that. Make sure you have some type of emergency fund. I think the economy is headed for um, definitely some volatile times. You want to have your emergency fund saved up to cover those you know bad things that could happen or big financial expenses that pop up out there. If you created a budget, you know I just told you about my my one of my good hobbies that I like to do at the end of the year is do a net worth statement. I think that you know you, know, you can piggyback on top of that and also look at looking at your monthly cash flow with a budget. Um, have you compared your insurance rates? I, I you know, I've know I've done some articles in the past and some topics talking about homeowners and automobile insurance is how you have rate creep. Your premium will creep up every year, and they kind of wait for you to call up and reset the rate. It's funny. they give Insurance is one of the few products where they actually give, I think, bigger, better deals to brand-new customers. They're trying to get that book of business that's constantly transition over, and they take you for granted if you're not calling to check on your insurance rates. Have you checked on your credit report? I give you that website, and I'll give it to you again, annualcreditreport.com. You can go pull up a free credit report and make sure you you don't have any surprises out there. You know, Look at these online banking opportunities out there, too. I know the interest rates are dropping on them. A lot of them were paying 5% a few months ago on these money markets that are FDIC-insured, and now they're dropping into the mid-fours and the low-fours. But still, that's much better than what you can get at your banking. You can attach these things to your checking account, you know, Immigrant Direct and some of the others out there, you can attach and, and transfer the money electronically. Tremendous opportunity out there to maximize the rate of return that you have. Remember, don't go over those FDIC insurance amounts, though. Um, do you check the tire pressure? This is just a maintenance issue. Do you make sure, you, you know, your car that you're riding around is safe? And then, um, you know, another last thing just to, to put a little punctuation for what we're doing here is if you've done a home energy audit. And I'm not getting into the whole political thing as if the, if the, as the planet is about to, to warm up to the point that, you know, you're wearing sunscreen every day and, and, you know, Bermuda shorts. It's not that type of discussion. I just think that if you can lower your utility bills, that's more money in your pocket for spending. And a lot of times your utility companies will provide a free energy audit if you just go do the research on it. So these are things that as we close out the year, um, I think you need to consider. This has been a great 2007 Got huge, tremendous opportunities coming our way. We're going to do a complete redesign, probably coming around February, of the Money Guy um, website. We're also going to change the format of the Money Guy show. Um, I think all this stuff is going to be great, and I can't wait to share all the details, but we're still in the um, initial stages of planning. Just plan on big things for 2008 for The Money Guy Show, and you're going to be a part of it. And I thank you for a great 2007. I'll see you in a week to close out the year on the 31st. Talk to you soon. This is Brian, your host of The Money Guy Show. The Money Guy Podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management.